and welcome back to What China Wants with me, Sam Olson, and Stuart Patterson, of course. And today we're going to be talking about Chinese New Year. Now, despite it being perhaps the second largest ceremony or festival in the world, it's really not very well known in the West. With the intricacies and the practices and the folklore, which is really interesting. And so we thought that it would be fantastic to get back on the show someone that you would have last heard speaking to What China Wants in October when we were discussing the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China. And that is Professor Zheng from uh, Lancaster University. He is the chair in China in International Studies and the academic director of China Engagement there. And of course, someone that knows a lot about Chinese New Year. Welcome back, JH. Thank you very much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So to get uh, things started, why is Chinese New Year so important to Chinese people? And, and what is the cultural context and the historical significance of it? Well, Chinese New Year is the most important festival for China. And most of it, I think the most important part is family reunion. That's the time that people gather together and trying to remove the, the, the bad and the old and welcome the new and the good. So um, it's very important in the Chinese culture and it can trace back to 3,500 years ago. And there is a long historical kind of origin about it, different kind of history, different kind of historical stories about the Chinese New Year. And one of the most popular uh, version of it refer back then to the beast of Xi, who used to eat uh, livestock, crops, or even people on the eve of a New Year. And um, in order to prevent uh, this beast from attacking people and create destructions, people will put the food at their doors to prevent the destruction. And then back then, there is a wise man in different versions of the story that uh, some story mentions this is a young boy, some version mentions this is an old man, has figured out a way to scare this beast away, which is by loud noise, which can be created by firecrackers and the color of red. Starting then, then people start to put red lampton and red scrolls on their windows and doors to stop um, the beast she from coming inside and also use the cracked bamboos later replaced by the firecrackers to scare she away and uh, the, the the story ends that the monster never showed up again after they do that and the similar story in another version which the beast is called nian but uh, it's similar kind of things so that if you go back to that history that's why people will like red colors, because they believe that that red color will scare uh, that beast away. And red lampton and firecracker, all of that uh, were designed, uh, can be traced back to the stories. That, that's really interesting. I mean, one of the sort of iconographies of, of Chinese view that I, I'm reasonably familiar with is, is sort of clementines or small oranges. And you often see those around as sort of um, Chinese New Year decorations. Is there is there any great significance to that? Or, or do they just happen to be in season at the time and therefore they've come to be a part of the uh, the festivities? Right. OK, so when I was young, we uh, <laughs> I liked that a lot. So in where I'm from, in the southwest part of China, the small orange, if you cut it well, it can be used 
can be uh, made into a lantern. You put a small little candle inside of it, and uh, a few rope up, then a small orange can be made into a little lantern. That's something that uh, kids like it very much. So uh, when I was young, I always asked my parents to buy a lot of orange, uh, not because I like to eat it. I just like to cut it. And, you know, many times you, you are going to have a lot of failures before you can make a successful one. So that ends up with have a lot of uneaten orange, but with lots of <laughs> failed products. So, yeah, and, and also the color. I mean, also the color facing as well. If you put a candle in and the color on, that looks very nice, actually. So so obviously the timing of Chinese New Year, because it's a, a lunar New Year, in, in terms of our own calendar, a Western calendar, it's at a slightly different time each year. It's, it's sort of from late January to early February, depending how it falls. But in everyday life in China, how significant is the, the lunar calendar vis-a-vis a sort of Western calendar? Or is, is there, in fact, in China, not even a Western calendar, it's just an alternative calendar that is separate from the lunar calendar? I mean, does the, the lunar year, as it were, penetrate into other areas of life other than the timing of holidays? Well, I think there is a generational gap there. So in my generation, for example, at least all the people I work in, most of them probably, we don't rely on the lunar calendar that much. But in my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, we rely on it very much. And there is a special calendar which they will be displayed at home and check in of that calendar. And obviously, I mean, the reason for generational gap, if you go back to where it all comes from, in Asian times, I think uh, it's not only China, I think in Asia, generally speaking, they pay a lot of attention to this lunar calendar because of this uh, cultural society uh, phenomenon back then. Uh, the calendar was used to guide the uh, agriculture affairs and uh, farming activities because it was able to divide the year into 24 solar terms. And those terms can reflect the change of season and uh, in a very good way. They are very accurate in predicting uh, the change of temperature, daylight times, and uh, harvest times of crops or even insect activities. So because of that, I think that was a tradition of why uh, it gradually evolved today. And in some rural area. I think uh, there will be a lot more people paying attention to this Luna Canada than those in the urban area because that's relevant. And also there's a generational gap. So in my generation, for example, we rarely use it. Uh, but in my parents' generation, they use it a lot. And they have a, in China, they sell that special uh, calendar which you can uh, take home and um, it will tell you what day it is today in the Luna Canada. And they will often go with something like what you should do or what's better to do today, what is better not to do today. So that's, that's a general, I think the generational gaps uh, matters a lot here. And, and, and just one more follow-up on that, which um, springs to mind, obviously, is in terms of year numberings. I mean, we refer to next year as being 2023, that sort of AD. How have the Chinese traditionally numbered their years in reference to what, as it were? Has it usually been in terms of the reign of a monarch or, or an emperor? Or or how, how have years historically been numbered? Historically, I think there will be an emperor there, for example, Qianlong, how many years? Or Shunzhi, uh, what year? Uh, and when you got a new emperor coming or the new emperor want to change that, they will do it. 
And uh, even in Taiwan nowadays, I think when the Republic of China was created, they got that Republican year. Even in Taiwan nowadays, we we'll say it's uh, Mingguo how many years. So they still use it. But in mainland China, I don't think we we use it that much. I I never let we call we use that. We will just refer to this year is twenty twenty two, next year is twenty twenty three. But sometimes people will use the animal year. For example, next year is the year of rabbit. But we no longer use a traditional way that that we we call it starting with emperor and then that date. Or it's also a different way of using it from、uh, Taiwan. So to give rabbits for those people that might not know, the Chinese New Year every year is a different animal、um, as per the Chinese zodiac. So, Jay, do you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about what the Chinese zodiac is, and, and we're going into the year of the rabbit and what that means, and the historical, perhaps, or mythological origin of all that? Yeah. Well,、um, so there are twelve animals actually、uh, in the zodiac years. And there is also an order of it.、Uh, starting from number one is、uh, rats, ox, tiger, rabbit, dragon, snake, horse, goat, monkey, rooster, dog, and pig. So、uh, rabbit is fourth one. And usually,、uh, the rabbit stands for mercy, elegance, and beauty. And it was believed that people are born in the year of rabbit are calm and peaceful. They tend to avoid fighting. And arguing at all times, but、uh, had an artistic or good taste in life. Well, that's what's supposed to be. I was born in a, ra- a year of rabbit, so <laughs> I'm not sure whether that、uh, fit exactly. Are you more on the elegant side, which is the characteristic that suits you best? <laughs> I'm not sure whether I can I can fit in that uh, uh, category, but、uh, I think that's generally <laughs> the label people would say. Okay, if you are born in a year of rabbit, that's that's you, and if you were born in a year of tiger, that's it. And obviously, there is a long historical stories about rabbit and ox race. And、uh, telling you that back in then, when twelve different animals start to run, and how each one of them gets their roles from number one, two, three, four, there was also a story that cat wants to join this kind of groups of animals, but failed into it. So you cannot got a, a cat them in that twelve、uh, uh, year kind of circle. So、uh, there was a long、uh, historical context of it. And we were talking about、uh, earlier about Nian. One of something that people might know is that Nian obviously is the, is the Chinese word for year. And CMY is full of imagery and language, which is very much reflected in the broader Chinese culture. And you've mentioned it being sort of the biggest festival of the Chinese people. But it, it seems to me, it always seems to me as an outsider, that the Chinese New Year is one of those things that really does bring. Different peoples and and the different sort of ethnic groups and everyone across China together. Would you say that Chinese New Year has got a unifying purpose, a unifying mission for the people of China? And if so, how has it changed its relationship with the authorities over the period of time from you know when China was an empire to the、uh, the period of time as a sort of as a In vertical, as normal republic or split republic, or whatever, and then into the into the communist period. Has Chinese New Year's relationship with the people and with the authorities changed, or has it always been that unifying presence? Right. So, first of all, Chinese New Year is not only celebrated in China. It has been celebrated in other countries like Korean, like Vietnam as well. And at the same time, where when you have a large Chinese population. 
They will celebrate the Chinese New Year as well. For example, Singapore, Cambodia, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, uh, Myanmar, Philippines, even in some parts of Canada,、uh, they will celebrate where they have a, a large Chinese population. So, because of that, in some places, for example, there is a, a view that it shouldn't be called Chinese New Year.、Uh, for example, a lot of people in Korea believe that it shouldn't be called Chinese New Year; it should be called Lunar New Year because they celebrate it、uh, as well. So, I think there is a, a cultural context of that, obviously. But if you go back to the to the history, we、we'll、find that Korea was a tributary state of China in which they identify themselves. Uh, in many ways, in the、uh, in the Chinese hierarchy of the, of the global order, so there is a, a long history of it. But I wouldn't say there is one single unified way or understanding of the Chinese New Year. Even different parts of China, I think people celebrate Chinese New Year very differently. And the concept and understanding of, of China, where China comes from, what China stands for, are also different at different times as well. So the power relation, I think, has always been. Uh, less about national state, but more about civilization. It's about people's culture, people's language, and those things are also uh, uh, dynamic uh, as well. I mean, one of the the、uh, things that people will be wondering about this particular Chinese New Year is, is actually how widely it will be celebrated in the mainland, and will people travel? In the numbers that they have historically travelled,、um, obviously the the COVID years were an aberration in terms of that because it's the sort of largest migration on earth, isn't it? When you know urban workers go back to the countryside to meet up with their families, how do you see that panning out this year in the light of the sort of abandonment of zero COVID、uh, restrictions and the the consequent spread of the disease. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's going to be、um, very complicated. And in the past, if you go back, I think you are right to say this probably is the biggest human migration before the pandemic. For example, in 2019,、uh, it was recorded that in the Chinese New Year celebration, 15 days, it's about to have three billion trips in transportation. And including 400 million trips by、uh, railway, so that's that's really something significant in terms of scale. And that's a moment when people return home and to meet the family. This is why a lot of people, for example, working in Beijing, working in Shanghai, will return to their homes and to meet their family. This is significant. And、uh, in the past two years, also even in 2020, I think the lockdown happened after the human migration. I think it's going to be a very different kind of Chinese New Year for the Chinese people. Currently, it is estimated that、uh, the peak time of COVID spread in China is going to come、uh, in a few months' time, and it is estimated that this human migration in Chinese we call "trainyun." It's like、uh, transportation during Chinese New Year. It's going to significantly escalate the spread of virus in China. So, I think for the Chinese people. What has been happening now in terms of COVID has been putting a big shadow. Put the Chinese New Year, which we usually want to get rid of the old, the bad, and to welcome the new and、uh, the good. I think putting everything to the shadow because we all know that is not going to get away so easily. And usually when we gather, it was gathering to celebrate and in a very positive mood. But I think this Chinese New Year is going to be different because of that COVID situation. And、uh, I mean, a lot of my friends back in China has recently got、uh, COVID 
and it's something quite significant that they have they have never heard of. And the hospital is in serious problems as well. So basically, it's back in 2020 time of United Kingdom's the first wave of COVID, and that is something very serious. And I recall that at that time, the first Christmas, there is a big debate in the UK about who dares to steal our Christmas and how can you do that? Those kind of things. It's the same thing in China as well, you know, because. Chinese New Year is so important. Mm-hmm. And now with all those things, I think uh, it's going to produce uh, very complicated feelings about it. Okay, so let's just assume for a second that uh, we are in a, in a pre-COVID year and uh, you've arrived back home. And you, you said you're from the southwest of China, but so obviously there are regional variations as you just mentioned. But you arrive back home and you're seeing your family. Tell us what you do. What are the? How do you celebrate the actual event? What food do you have? Do you give each other presents, uh, etc.? How do you go about enjoying the time? So uh, I just want to emphasize that uh, different parts of China have different ways of celebrating it. I'm from the southwest, a city called Chongqing. So the memory of that is different, I think. Uh, so usually what we do is we have dinner together as a family. Usually we start with lunch. And uh, we will start with lunch and some family activity and then dinner. And uh, that's where you meet uh, your relatives and all those uh, relatives in, in the family. So what we do will be in my the city where I am from, what we like to do is, is I wouldn't call it a gambling activity, but uh, it's something we call mahjong, which you got four of us and just playing together. So that's very popular in the places where I'm from and uh, people and uh, in Sichuan, we, all, we always play that. But that's an opportunity that you play with, with the family. So adults will be doing it and uh, younger kids will either be watching TV or play outside. Uh, we'll have firecrackers, but uh, it's different now because of the environmental pollution, I think has been changing the way people perceive Chinese New Year. When I was young, we would do the firecrackers everywhere, and uh, you you buy a lot of that and uh, play it, and uh, you will put the new address on and uh, eat a lot of good things. But uh, in my generation, I think the, the understanding of that is different because in my generation, China has already had. I think in our generation, the economic growth has become very rapidly and people's material, people has enough living standard is very different. In my parents' generation, the Chinese New Year matters a lot more probably than my generation because back then, you don't really have enough, very good, a lot of food to, to eat or uh, you don't have always have uh, new clothes. You can buy it any time. So back in then, the Chinese New Year is once a year time that they will be able to get new clothes, you will be able to eat whatever they want to eat, which they don't usually have that uh, luxury uh, in the rest of the year. Uh, that's different from my generation, because in my generation, ever since China's free from the open up, I think that uh, uh, significantly really provided a large amount of material goods. And people's living standards are very different. People started by computer, clothes, and uh, cars, and bigger houses. So new clothes is, is no longer something you will save it up only for the for the festival. You can just buy it. Or if you want to eat something, just go to the restaurant. It's no longer that in my parents' generation, you will just save up those money or save up those good things to wait for that special occasion to do it. So that perception of Chinese is different. And in the past, uh, one of the most popular activities will be sitting together, watch the CCTV gala, which is a Chinese television gala show. Uh, back in then, I think um, there wasn't much entertainment activities. Not like today, you got computer, you can watch a movie, or you could go to your iPhone, you can 
watch on your TikTok. You have so many programs to watch to. Back in them, you only have one single program in the TV. Or probably not everybody has a TV in a rural area. So the entire village people will be gathering together to who has a TV and sit there from six to twelve, watch the entire program of TV gala, and at the same time chatting with each other. So it's like I think in the UK, people gather together in the bar in the pub and watch the World Cup, things like that. But back in them, you don't have much choice. It's like you can. Watch this program, that program. No, you only have one single program. So back in then, that was a lot more important. But now,、uh, I think it's it's very different. Yeah, I think the, the, the older I grow up, I think、uh, the less people、uh, like the TV gala. But back then, that was really a big thing because now you have so many programs. Different Chinese television have their own TV gala or Chinese New Year. You have so many options. So the option has become a lot more diversified. So is the way you celebrate Chinese New Year. Stuart, I'm sure you were in a similar boat to me. But one of the things I remember about, especially living in Hong Kong, was the terror associated with the presents having to be given at Chinese New Year, which in Hong Kong are licey, but obviously in the rest of China are Hongbao, the red packets of of cash, and never knowing how much you meant to give, who you meant to give it to. So. How do you get it right? The key thing, I mean, I, I'm sure with children, it is it's the quantity, but with the notes are meant to be brand new. I think is is an important part of it. And they always run out of brand new notes just before, so you had to go like months before to make sure you got the brand new notes. It was just always the faux pas. I think it's all electronic now. Alibaba, you can you know you have have electronic like C notes where you don't have to worry too much about the age of the note. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's one thing I forgot. Probably make me most excited when I was a, a child. So I think there were different rules. But in my family, the rule says rule is that as long as you haven't got a job yet, as long as you don't get job, you are entitled to the rights of that red envelope. So that would mean that、uh, I can still get it when I was, for example, doing a PhD, which I didn't. But theoretically speaking, I was entitled to. But I didn't because I was in the UK, not able to to fly back to China to do that. But yes, that's something very exciting that、uh, children can get some money. But most of it,、uh, you cannot keep it because you are not capable of doing it. I recall that when I was five or six, something people gave me some money, and then in an hour or so, I forgot where where did it go. So my at least my parents, I think a lot of probably will be the same as well. They will say we will keep it for you. We、we'll、just keep it for you. That that old chestnut. Yeah, you don't <laughs> have it, and a few years later, we、we'll、forgot、uh, anything. But.、Uh, But you can use some part of it to buy some new toys, which are nice, and、uh, and I like it. Regarding how much you get, I think it depends,、uh, and also depends on the quantity as well. I mean, it's also about exchange. So, for example, my parents will give a few envelope to other kids, and their parents will give it to me as well. So ultimately, the theoretically speaking, the game is supposed to be breaking even. So how much money you get out and how much money comes in is supposed to break even. And the idea of that is to giving envelope, which is red envelope, will bring luck to the children, and the children get it. They will get some luck, and they will grow healthily. So ultimately, it's less about quantity; it's about break even for the parents. But、uh, well, practically, it's always impossible to break even. But、uh, the big numbers is always roughly the same because you know how much you you they will give you, how much you will be giving them, and also. Um, in where I grew up in the city of Chongqing, we always have one child, so that、uh, leave the complexion of someone have two or three children and have given two or three when when envelope, but they would give you one bag and、uh, what this means. All of that、uh, is less of a problem, at least、uh, as far as I know. And、uh, 
I think the rising living standards and inflation, the expectation will go up as well. Uh, so the expectation will always go up. Uh, so uh, so that is adjustable. So. Well, I know my kids, the one thing they miss about Chinese New Year being in the UK is the fact that no one gives them any red packets anymore. Maybe that's something that we should change here. Yeah, JH, thank you so much for, for joining us and um, helping our audience understand Chinese New Year a bit better so that they can enjoy the Chinese New Year celebrations themselves with an understanding of what it all means. So thank you very much. Uh, and we look forward to having you back on the show in the near future. Thank you for having me. Great. Happy Chinese New Year. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you all.